One fine day, not too long ago, maybe about a week and a half prior to Mauna Loa erupting, I was making my way along the winding path to the gazebo where I do all my meditating. And by meditating, by now, you probably know I mean simply set my sense of personal self aside for kundalini energy to come alive, flow through the body, and maneuver it, slash me, uh in whatever way is apparently appropriate for my own best health uh, and the well-being of the environment around me. And on this path, uh, I plucked up a long, dead, bleached bush, which I probably shouldn't have let grow there in the first place, but I did, but then it got droughty and it died. Uh, so I plucked it, threw it into the wind, and I said, actually, to it, be free! <laughs> but the wind pushed back and dropped it near where it had been all along, pretty much almost in the same spot. And we're just like that. When we're set free, we tend to stay in our familiar routine. A bit later, the wind picked up, and that dead bush became more like a tumbleweed. Finally free, I thought, but not alive to enjoy it. Because I'm a fan of irony. And that's us, too. Not necessarily a fan of irony, but, uh, you know, in a number of ways, that's us. We do, after all, live in a society that pats itself on the back for its written-down paper freedoms that often don't apply in practice. And we worship money as the ultimate paper god. Paper is power here, right? Literacy and agreements on written, literate meanings? We're free on paper, but are we free? It's also us when it comes to kundalini. As I watched my new tumbleweed friend make a break for it, I imagined it settling into a pile of bushy bones from others of its kind. And then I imagined that one day the sun, because, you know, it's Hawaii and it gets hot here, <laughs> maybe the sun has the power to one day burn them in their dead state, this pile of bush bones, setting them on fire, which is their other sense of life. They aren't really just dead and gone, these old bones. They're dead and waiting to be reborn as fire, or else turn into mulch and dirt and become the fertile soil for others to grow in. In death they are life nonetheless. In fact, they are truly alive and completely free. For death is life, and life without death is an illusion generated by fear. And this brought me to thinking about the California wildfires, naturally. <laughs> I mean, why wouldn't it, right? I don't know, but it did. Uh, and I was thinking, like, why would nature make wildfires? The obvious answer is to make room for new trees and plants. But it also is because certain of them necessarily need to experience being fire. Is that not a tragedy, but a transcendence for what is, by all appearances, dead wood? I think that's right. It feels right. But then, what of the young and alive trees getting burned before their time? Surely this is to them a tragedy. They've not gone through the death process, and the fire feels like, well, fire. They're in pain because they have pain receptors that the dead trees quite properly do not. And if you're a tree burning before your time, it hurts like hell. 
The only good that comes of it is for other trees to see this and to keep in consciousness that they are also fire. And the only preparation to be fire is death. And now we're ready to talk about Kundalini. To have a serious discussion about it, not the YouTube guru crap. Although, it's about the YouTube guru crap. And by YouTube guru crap, I mean the people who come on and tell you that they raise their kundalini, that they can shut it off, that they control it, that it's an electric, an electricity, that when you orgasm, it's a kundalini experience, that everything is a kundalini experience, that it's about you know, uncontrolled, if it just spontaneously comes upon you, you'll feel hot and cold and maybe pain and you'll be confused and on and on and on. Or uh, the good old Christian bent that it's uh, Satan, the devil's work. And as evidence, they point to, funny enough, other Christian sects, evangelicals, who giggle uncontrollably. Um... And if you touch someone and you're kundalini alive, that spark of you can force them to giggle uncontrollably, to fall on the floor writhing in a laughing fit. Um, or maybe you've seen kundalini demonstrations where, uh, like, usually a man hovers over a woman or two, but sometimes it's also a woman doing this and sort of does gestures with the fingers and they, these women start palpitating and they start writhing around orgasmically. Or maybe you've seen people writhing on the floor as snakes because this is, after all, a serpent energy. Although, originally, when somebody coined, I can't remember who, coined the term serpent energy... They meant it metaphorically. They didn't mean literally. But here we are doing the literal thing that we've heard, writhing around on the floor. What is this all about if it's not real? Better question. What's it about if it is real? Because if it isn't real, and a lot of it isn't, it's psychosomatic. It's wish fulfillment. In the case of um, churches, it's also... Uh, breaking taboos, right? Like you get to act out in your repressed religion. You get to act out in this way. You have permission to do that, to be loud and to be free and to be chaotic. So that's all true. And of course, you've got people who are just plain old lying and making money or, you know, gaining power off of likes and comments section threads that are all about praising them and hero worship. We've got all this, right? We know this. We know what we are. But there's another facet of it, the part that's bothered me, <laughs> the part I couldn't really wrap my mind around until I thought about the California wildfires, which is, what about for the people who really are having this experience also? Because Kundalini is not controllable. Kundalini is the case and the expression that happens, the intelligence that happens in the absence of self as the controller. Therefore, what Kundalini does is intelligent because it is intelligence. And so the maneuverings are intelligent. That doesn't mean you even know what's going on necessarily. I don't because I'm not schooled in any of this. I mean, this has happened to people through the years and they've jotted stuff down and they've shared it and so they can name what the various properties of these maneuverings and exercises and stuff are. And some of them are self-evident and some of them aren't to me. 
Um, but to someone else, they would probably, many of them or all of them would be self-evident. And we're talking about not just finger gestures and, you know, uh, dancing around in such ways, but like yoga poses and all of that. But there's also just like basic stretching, right? Because I have a, a bad back. Kundalini doesn't magically make my back better, but it does stretch me. It does do chiropractic type stuff. It does do acupressure. Um, and it does move uh, energies in the body around in the ways that you hear about in Chinese medicine, for example. So all of that is uh, comprehensible to me. And a lot of it is not comprehensible. Uh, but it's all healthy. Nothing bad has happened. And important for this is it's all intelligent. It's all coordinated actions. And though it's not routine in the sense that it repeats over and over in exactly the same ways every time I set my sense of self aside and let it go, it is routine in the sense that it has a beginning and an end point. And I'm not in control. So who are these people that are controlling it? What's going on here? And why is it that they aren't experiencing this? Uh, even if they can go down a checklist of aspects that line up with what I'm talking about, those aspects seem to be like going through a checklist of character traits, but uh, then surmising that you're both talking about a person, not even the same person, but a person. And really what you're talking about are character traits. So it took me a minute to figure this out in life. <laughs> Really, what it took me a minute to do is put together the things that I've al already known and have said before, but not put together and articulated uh, even to myself um, well. But let's start here with Judah Krishnamurti um, paying attention to what he had to say and getting it is what brought me here to, as far as Kundalini goes. And Judah Krishnamurti never spoke about Kundalini and or you know and any of the things that I had read which was prior to either prior to YouTube or prior to me having a computer and having access to his speeches on YouTube I had read books and he you know you have to go digging in other words to get where he even talks about paranormal stuff mysticism stuff so-called spiritual masters Kundalini any of that and there are like two videos I think online on on YouTube where he addresses Kundalini and you have to know how to listen to them to really hear what he's saying. Otherwise, you're liable to pass them up as, oh, he's just saying it's not real. No, he's actually describing exactly what I've been talking about this whole time. And again, he never talked about it uh, or rarely talked about it, certainly didn't publicize it um, because he knew that that wasn't the point. He knew to talk about the things that people wanted to talk about in their day and that holds over to today for the most part. Those things are like powers and, and uh, you know, more d things that you want to accumulate for yourself. They're desires and they're, you know, things of exotic interest. And he was not concerned with that because he knew that to be concerned with that would just lead you into more delusion and wouldn't actually be beneficial. So instead of concentrating on what happens after one has the experience of the self being silenced by the brain of the seeker going quiet. You know, we always want to know what happens next. He didn't concentrate at all on what happens next. He just concentrated on uh, telling you about that, about the, the necessity for 
your brain to get that it needs to stop the, the, the self-sense, uh, which is time, which is a psychological construct so that if anything of timelessness exists, it will come true and flower within the body and flower as you. Otherwise, it has nothing to do with you. It's just a fantasy. Um, but in the couple of things I have seen of him talking about Kundalini, it's very clear that he knows exactly what this is. Uh, and it is exactly as I've told you, as I've described. And further, uh, it has nothing to do. Like, he, he shuns all of that other, you know, he wouldn't call it YouTube gurus because they didn't have those back in his day. But the guru stuff, the, the stuff that people were interested in, kundalini yoga and kundalini powers and making it rise and fall and all this, he knew that that was nonsense. Um, and so he would say that that wasn't kundalini at all. And I want to put these these things together because yet and still it persists. And I think it it, it is and isn't, right? So let's get into what that nuance is. So the myth goes that there is this energy called kundalini, this serpent energy that lays dormant in the base of the spine. And when you somehow magically access it or it accesses itself on its own, uh, it rises up, it clears out your what? Karma. It activates you psychically. It essentially... Um, bing, 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 as it climbs your spine, activates these chakras, and then, like, you know, you're in for a ride, essentially. And it can be painful, and it can be uh, joyous, it can be orgasmic, it can be any host of things. And you've got to learn how to control it. However, this kundalini in the spine, this is the thing I've known and haven't really, I guess, articulated so much, is that it's a blockage. The blockage is created by and is you. It is fractally the same as or perhaps a replica of nothingness, which is creating and being everythingness. This is what the body is replicating with you. Because if you go back to the nothingness creating and being everythingness. And one of those things is spirit riding through its own creation as if a separate entity, but it knows itself not to be a separate entity. This is you. This is what the self is. It's a replica of this out in the external world. You being an autonomous person going through life. It's fractally the same. The difference is, of course, that you, as a purely autonomous being, divorced from nature and environment and all of that, and each other, is, uh, is a, uh, an unhealthy illusion. If you want to talk about it uh, having been a healthy illusion at some point, okay, we can have that discussion. But right now, it's no longer that. And now is all we've got. And if now... The brain dissolves the self, seeing the futility of the self, seeing the problem and the, the delusional uh, 
aspect of this seeker in the external world, divorced from the very environment in which it is seeking, divorced from the very people, even, whom it is asking, hey, how do you seek? When the brain gets that lots of things can be discovered through this means of seeking, but not the ultimate, not that which is beyond the seeker, or that which, perhaps it's better to say, uh, that which transcends and includes the seeker cannot be understood by the seeker, but the seeker needs to go away for that to be the case, for that to be the sense of self alighting the vessel, not this little seeker. If that's the moment you're in, then Kundalini flows, it becomes the case, the dam breaks, and that, that ethereal area in the base of the spine reveals itself as more of a gill. And the only control you have is uh, to allow it to breathe or not by setting your will aside, not by willfully acting in any way, but by uh, becoming silence, which you can now do because that's what you did <laughs> to activate this in the first place. So you now, uh, when you come back to the sense of self, you've got this, this ingrained ability to, to be the self and to be silence, to be of time and to be timelessness, to mediate between those two. Now I would further argue that, or, you know, pose, I guess that, uh, we can also be that timelessness in the body, but that's a whole, like that, that, that's another thing right now. What we're dealing with here is the self as a, a mediator or, you know, the, the person who can flip the switch, not the person who has to sit there and go, <laughs> or be quiet enough, uh, you know, to let it do something, but then, oh, it's painful. Oh, quick, turn it off, turn it off. No, all of this is silly. So I think the thing that is being turned on and off and played with is the blockage. I mean, you wouldn't consider a blood clot to be uh, the same as blood flowing through the body, and yet um, they're both blood. One is coagulated and helping or preventing something who know, you know, whatever the blood clot is doing. Um, I mean, if it's flowing into your brain or your heart, you you've got a problem. Uh, but if it's, uh, you've got a bloody nose, you kind of want a blood clot there, right? Or if you cut yourself, you want a clot. So the clot can be healthy or it can be unhealthy. That's what we're describing. We're describing the painful process of Kundalini rising or the joy of it from this, blockage that we assume is kundalini sitting at the base of the spine waiting to rise and fall. No, it's uh, like a blood clot again, but it's got an active uh, component to it. It is uh, attached to the self. It is of the self. It's like you could say enough universal energy coagulating at the gill that is you and isn't you but it's not enough of either to be beneficial and it shouldn't be. It's a clot. So when the blockage comes active, you can learn to control it or summon it or however you want to call it. 
causes you pain or pleasure. All of that is from the blockage, which again is mainly you. If you can control it, it's you. True kundalini aliveness is, like I'm saying, more like a gill opening and breathing in universal energy. It's not, uh, again, it's not like a high, you know that that game at carnivals, they call it the high striker strongman game. You know, the high striker. It's where the strongman uh, smashes a mallet uh, on a little plank uh, or a seesaw looking thing and a puck goes flying up. And the goal is to ring a bell at the top of the contraption. And this is how a lot of people talk about kundalini, as though they're making it rise that way, like they're trying their best to make it rise all the way up and then blow out the top of their heads, and then they have some sort of universal consciousness experience. It's, this is just a game for the ego to play and gain mastery over and remain intact. That's not real kundalini, because real kundalini is there when that self is not. Now, you may recall that during my... Uh, when I died, <laughs> my death of self, uh, Kundalini came alive and rose up and blew out my back, so to speak. It uh, slipped a disc in my back, arguably two discs. One was um, over the years that I let it linger so painful that I didn't even know that there were two slipped. So I'm not sure when the second one slipped, but let's just say I slipped a disc in my back or it slipped a disc in my back. Um... That's because, unbeknownst to me, I had a propensity for that to happen. Um, it had happened before, and the reason I let it linger for years is because when it happened before, I didn't know what was happening. I had felt something jiggle in my spine and go out, and it hurt. And then, like, later that day or the next day, it would slip back into place. So I figured that's what would happen here. I let it linger. Uh, I did bad things to my back, bad postures, um, sitting down and stand, you know, all of that. My fault. Um, for letting it linger and get worse. But the original popping out of place was because of this energy coming alive. And that's because uh, I didn't do any stretches or yoga. or any, I had bad posture. I mean, when an energy is, I guess, coming through the blockage, when the blockage is dissolved and the energy comes, you know, in, I don't want to say roaring in or pouring in or like a serpent, right? I mean, none of that. It was really just like you could feel this energy rising. And then, uh, my, you know, when it got to the top <laughs> of me, uh, my head started spinning around, like doing an exercise. So immediately my body wanted to exercise. <laughs> like immediately this Kundalini energy is like, okay, we're going to start doing, uh, exercise and a one and a two. Um, because, you know, I didn't do yoga, I didn't do stretches, I didn't do any of that prep work because I didn't have anything to prepare for. So in that sense, I, I get that there is pain if you're not prepared. But the ultimate pain if you're not prepared is, I would think, playing around with this kundalini blockage. Because, again, the sense of self has to dissolve. And if you're not dissolved... Um, then all of your sort of mental issues, your psychological issues, and perhaps your quote-unquote spiritual issues, whatever they may be, are um, just going to constantly be getting triggered. Um, because there is the aspect of this, you know, blockage, which is 
you know, the tiny little fraction of Kundalini that wants to help, <laughs> right? But you're there in the way. And so it's constantly, it's like the blockage playing with the blockage, as it were. Your own self-awareness playing with this blockage, which has some uh, Kundalini to it. But to not be playing with the blockage is to not exist anymore, is for the self to dissolve. And in there, there is no psychological baggage for this Kundalini to play with, to try to fix or whatever. So I guess it would help to be in physical shape <laughs> before death of self. Uh, I guess that can be said for sure. Um, but again, if I had known that and if I had been physically training for this, then I would have had a goal in mind, then it wouldn't have happened. In fact, it's quite possible that I would have ended up playing with a blockage and not known it myself. And so when I talk about Kundalini, if you hear me talking about it and you're like, wait, why does this guy think he's had experiences and none of these other people have? Um, it's because there are few and far between who have actually dissolved their sense of self. And since you are the universe and the universe is you, to also steal from Krishnamurti's phraseology, um, that is literally true. And therefore, the universe wants to remain intact too. So the universe has set up within you, through this blockage, the ability to have um, a simulated, ex <laughs> a near-death experience, right? A near-death of self-experience. A simulated kundalini awakening experience so that you will go no further so that you will still exist because you existing is the universe existing you dying for that parallel energy stream or uh parallel uh you know truth love life all of that that force that transcends and includes the universe and transcends and includes you just as you don't want that energy to be you. The universe doesn't want that energy to be you. You want to remain yourself. The universe wants you to remain yourself. It would love nothing more than to bring novelty experiences back drip by drip uh, from that parallel place so that it can build itself, so that the universe can further itself, and you're the same. You want to bring you with you when you go. You want to bring back experiences. You want to be the one who goes to a realm, brings back, retrieves experiences, or has visionary experiences, but you're there nonetheless having those experiences, and bring it back and build upon yourself, because that's evolution. And that's all well and dandy, except there's another thing that needs to happen, which is complete transformation, mutation, instantaneous from the lack of self, not from the building of self. It's antithetical to the universe, it's antithetical to you. And yet, it also secretly, deeply, is you, is the universe. It transcends and includes you. Uh, you know, arguing against this is the same as a two-year-old arguing against mom and dad's authority, right? <laughs> like, I mean... We're not talking about a hierarchical structure, but again, in terms of like how we can view this metaphorically, that's an easy one to picture. 
I mean, you would never tell a little kid, uh, yep, you've got all the power in this relationship, parent to child. I mean, that would not happen if you're healthy and sane, right? Um, and yet, just try telling the two-year-old that. The two-year-old wants what the two-year-old wants, or they cry and stomp around and, you know, you send them to their room or whatever it is. Um, but that's like us. We We think that we own the universe. We think we're masters of our domain, and we we want that come hell or high water, even if the healthy, correct uh, adult decision, which is out of our hands <laughs> and in the hands of our adults, parents and the such, uh, is not to allow us to get everything we want and grow that way, right? So... Seeing all of this in its totality, seeing the entirety of the problem so deeply that just sitting with that for a moment by yourself, not in a group, not talking to anyone about it, but by yourself, just sitting with that and getting it deeply enough. Well, I should say you you may be able to get it deeply enough where the brain sees this. Beyond you seeing it, the brain sees what I'm talking about here. And goes, oh, <laughs> uh, that which I seek is is uh, has nothing to do with the seeker. They're in separate worlds. And simply in understanding that, the brain turns you off. What happens next? Well, next, you may learn a thing or two about Kundalini. But until then, you're just guessing and you're, you know playing with toys and other people's ideas and groping around in the dark. And, you know, you can read books and you can watch videos and look at signs and symptoms that other people talk about. Maybe you've had a couple of them, and but that's like going to PubMed and like you've got the sniffles or something. And then suddenly you think you have chlamydia, you know, <laughs> you ever do that? Not necessarily with chlamydia, but like, you know, other things you're just like, Oh God, I'm dying. And it's like, well, wait, just because you have these symptoms, doesn't mean you're dying. You haven't had the death of self, no. And the problem is there can be no authority in this. So even while I'm telling you this, and even though what I'm saying is correct and true, I can't be your authority. You can't know that. You can trust that. But that, you know, trust it only insofar as it brings you to a place where you're going to explore this further in yourself not to a place where you believe me and go on with life or disbelieve me and go on with life. I could be wrong. I could be lying. Find out for yourself. That's the important point. If it intrigues you at all, find out for yourself. I, I mean, the only sort of thing that I'm trying to help you with uh, in any way beyond what Krishnamurti was able to do is articulate the fact that at the end of the day, even though I am here intriguing you, if I am at all here intriguing you, you have to throw away that sense of intrigue. You have to do away with the search and the want to search, the want for an answer, the want for whatever that thing is. That has to go. Even though that's the thing that brought you here, you have to see that that's now in the way. And that's it. And once you get that, now, saying that's it doesn't mean it's easy to do. It's not easy to get rid of that feeling because that's you. You are that. That's what you are. You're a seeker. 
You're a little sniffing dog, you know, sniffing around. Uh, rooting out drugs and cancer, or whatever it is dogs do. Um, truffle hog, sniffing truffles. Yeah, that's you. And now you want that ultimate truffle, that deep down in the earth truffle, and someone who has been leading you with your truffle snout all along says, oh, you want that truffle? Well, you got to stop being a truffle hog for that. Oh, well, how do I do that? No, 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 not you, the brain projecting you, the one who has set you up as a truffle hog and said, this is what life is, this is who you are, and this is what you do in the world, has to understand that that facade, that entity, that self, um, can't touch this truffle. So you can do all the other stuff with other truffles, you can get all those other truffles, but not this one, hog. So the brain has to see that and then stop projecting the self for that other truffle to, uh, you know, for you have a shot at that digging itself out. Because you don't dig it out. The truffle itself will dig it out, dig itself out. Wacky world we live in, right? But there it is. And um, so, yeah, don't believe anyone you know, they're not helping you. They're not doing you any favors when they say that this is electric or that everyone's got it and uh, it's everything, you know, in the flippant way that they say that where it means like, oh, I've already got it. Well, I'm good. <laughs> and then you go on with life and we just keep destroying everything because we're not whole in our blind search for narcissistic permanence, which we'll call, you know, Love or learning. Something cute like that. You want the real? You've got to be the real. You've got to be, period. Stop doing for the sake of stopping. Which means the brain hearing this and getting this. And that's it. The silence that ensues isn't just the absence of noise, it isn't just quiet, it is intelligence per se. And that intelligence moves you. And you are that. And that is you. Consciously, self-consciously. We are fire. Anything less? Is someone blowing smoke up your tailbone?